So turn your Bibles to Genesis 19. We'll be back in 2 Chronicles next week, but we're going to look at Genesis 19 tonight. Now, again, in the history of our church, I taught this chapter in the year 2013. So it's been a while, but uh, it bears repeating, and I can think of a few chapters more appropriate for what's going on in the world today than this chapter. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us. I thank you for all that are here, none by chance, all by divine appointment, those that are watching on live stream, those that will listen to this message or see it later. May you minister to every heart. We pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said... So we live in a time where people struggle with, is, and that you'll hear this, I love the God of the, Old, of the New Testament. I don't so much like that God of the Old Testament because he was very judgmental. And the God of the New Testament, he's all loving. Well, you might want to come for the Revelation study and find out if that's accurate. But our God is an all-loving, all-knowing, almighty God, but he's also a righteous and just God. Amen. And as I talk about when I do the outline on Sundays for Revelation, that the judgment of God will come upon a world that has rejected him, denied him, and basically shakes their fists at God, wants nothing to do with him. Now, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. So now some of us are put in this quandary with what's going on in the world today because perversion is running amok. And as it does... People think you have to take one of two stances. You either have to hate the people that are involved in it, or you have to affirm it. And the reality is, as Christians, we should do neither. Amen? We don't hate people. We love people. But we also don't affirm ungodly behavior. Amen? Now, we should call sin what it is. Now, again, you hear me say this often for me. It's holiness for me, grace for everyone else. The one whose life I examine is mine. And we need to be examining our own hearts and our own relationships with the Lord. And so as we look at tonight's chapter, it's all about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to see that God righteously judges this land. And we're going to see what he does before he judges it, which I believe is another sign that, as we've been seeing on with Revelation, and again, some disagree with me and that's okay. It's a non-essential, but that the church will be removed before righteous judgment comes. And we'll certainly see that taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. So chapter 18 ended with the Lord informing Abraham of the coming judgment upon Sodom. And this was to serve as an object lesson to Abraham that sin indeed does have consequences and that a seared over conscience and a lack of repentance will re result in righteous judgment, seeing firsthand that ungodly actions will be dealt with by God. It was to give a greater sense of urgency and unwavering determination to Abraham as he fathered a great nation to command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. One of the things we should be doing, especially as parents and grandparents, we're in our sphere of influence, we should be the ones teaching our children, our grandchildren, the people who have an impact over the simple truth of the gospel, and also teaching them that the way of the transgressor is hard, that sin absolutely does have consequences. Again, sin is not bad because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's bad. Because sin separates us from Almighty God. And He created you to have a relationship with you, and the Lord hates anything that would separate you from Him. But at the same time, 
If you choose to rebel against him, you've chosen to be righteously judged by a perfect and holy God. Give Abraham a deeper and even uh, a deeper understanding that disobeying God is not something we should take lightly. I'm very concerned that people take sin way too lightly. Amen? We've become desensitized to sin. That when you call sin, sin, all of a sudden now you're a bigot. You're a phobe of some kind, right? Because you say that, no, that's not okay. That's, not, that, that's dishonoring to the Lord. And we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, but we should be surprised when people who call themselves Christians act like sin is no big deal. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more you're going to hate sin, especially the sin in your own life. Amen? So what we pass down to our children, it's a very big deal. It impacts not only uh, his children, Abraham's children, in their daily lives, uh, but they're standing before Almighty God, both here and now and for all eternity. And so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we're doing our kids a favor by telling them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. To compromise and proclaiming the, or living out the truth in exchange for temporary peace and fleshly satisfaction. As God makes it clear to Abraham that Sodom's wickedness was about to bring his righteous judgment, Abraham begins to intercede on Sodom's behalf. And that's how we should respond. God says, this is going to be judged. So Abraham starts praying. And he starts crying out to God. And because, now remember how Lot got into, how did he end up in Sodom? They came out of Egypt. Lot and Abraham came out both very wealthy. Lot is Abraham's nephew. And Abraham gave Lot the choice. He said, you choose one direction, I'll go the other. And he looked towards Sodom and it was lush and green and beautiful. And over time, you see him choose Sodom. Then he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Then he's living inside of Sodom. And at what we will see tonight, he's one of the judges who rules in Sodom. And this is what happens with us. We pitch our tent towards the world. And then all of a sudden we're wrapped up in the world and then we're somebody who's living like the world. And that's exactly what we're going to see in tonight's text. Again, Abraham knows the heart of God and as a friend of God asks if he will spare Sodom for the sake of 50 righteous. Lord, I know you're a righteous God that you will not judge the righteous with the wicked. And God agrees all the way down to 10. Abraham starts out, he's a friend of God. That's what his name means. He knows that God is righteous and he wants only to take place in the last resort that God brings righteous judgment. So Lord, would you save the city for the fake of 50, sake of 50? Yes, I will. Confine 50. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? Down to 10. And it's been a city with tens if not hundreds of thousands of people. This is how perverse it's become. They couldn't find 10. And so God's righteous judgment is going to come. Again, God's heart is none should perish, no, not run, one. But Sodom had been delivered from captivity by Abraham and his household. I don't know if you knew that in Scripture. He had delivered them from captivity, so he had a heart for them. He knew people from Sodom because he was the one to help deliver them. And so now he hears that there's going to be the judgment of God upon them, and he's crying out on their behalf. And guys, when we see people that we know and care about that are living outside of God's will, we should be praying for them that, God would, that their hearts would be softened, their eyes would be opened. We need to love them enough to tell them the truth, even when it may not be easy. Amen? Most likely witnessed firsthand visit as well from Melchizedek when he came and visited 
uh, Abraham. It was right during that time when Sodom was being delivered. And he pronounced God's blessing upon Abraham, giving God credit for their victory. And Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. So they saw God's power firsthand. They witnessed his deliverance. But rather than repent, they went back to their city and their old sinful behavior. And this is what repentance is not. Repentance is not, I feel bad. I want to get out of hell free card. I've been stirred up emotionally. Maybe I was at church and, and revelation has scared the hell out of me, literally, right? And you're petrified. And so you walk in aisle and pray a prayer, you raise your hand, but then you go back and you just live the same sinful life you've already lived, thinking I've got to get out a hell-free card in my wallet and I'll pull it out on Judgment Day, but until then I'm just going to live like the world. Guys, that's not repentance. It's not repentance when Sodom goes back to Sodom and just becomes Sodom again. So we're going to see that as we go through the text tonight. So grab your outline if you've got it. If not, there's some on the back table. And I tiled the message, Compromise Leads to Carnality. When we start to compromise, we become more and more carnal. The word carnal, right? Carne, like carne asada, right? It means fleshly, right? You become more fleshly. So the more, you know, the more compromise, you become more flesh-driven. And I, I wrote down 10 uh, marks of a carnal walk. Here, we, here they are. Let's go through them quickly. First of all, when you're walking in carnality, this will describe your life. Or if you're moving towards carnality, this will look like how you live or how I am living. Look what it says. First, you become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. You're in the world. I have had Christians say this to me. I'm like, they're like, well, I, you know, I know the Lord's coming back for us, but I don't want him to come back anytime soon. I'm kind of liking it here. And I hear that a lot, you know, well, you know, I, I want that promotion at work. I've got, a, I've got a trip planned to Fiji in like in a year. And, you know, I've got a, a few other things I want to do before I want to have some grandkids. Now, again, I get some of that. But what I'm trying to guys, if we think that hanging out here one minute longer than we have to is anything compared to heaven, we've lost our minds and we don't read our Bible and we need to get to know God. Can I get an amen to that? So when you become really comfortable in the world, guys, this is not your home. We are aliens here. But as you become carnal, you become more and more comfortable in the world. Number two, you become less and less comfortable around God's people. You're afraid that they'll see you for who you are and how, who you have become if they spend time with you. I know there are Christians that don't even want to invite people to their house because they might, you know, look, we, we know you're all sinners just like us. Amen. But what happens is we can come to that place and I have people that are Christians say, I don't like hanging out with Christians. They're kind of boring. You know, they don't like to do, you mean they don't like to go out and party and sin and get liquored up? You mean that kind of stuff? Yeah, you're right. We don't. Can I get an amen to that? But there's this mentality where, you know what? I'm most comfortable around people that have a love for the Lord like I do. Amen? I love being around Christians. I love being around godly people. Took my grandson who's in town to Disneyland on Tuesday and had my Jesus, 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 Jesus shirt on. And people are saying, God bless you, bro. And one guy, he ends up, he's an assistant pastor at a Calvary Chapel up north, my favorite Bible teacher. Divine appointments. Can I get an amen to that? And we start talking, and he's like, you can't say that name enough. I'm like, amen, where do you feel? I go to Calvary Chapel. Me too, I'm a Calvary Chapel. I'm a assistant pastor. And man, you're hugging each other, and dude, I'll see you in heaven, and here's my card. Amen? But when you're walking in carnality, Christians are boring. Christians don't want to do the things you want to do. You're going to become like who you hang out with. Number three, you try to negotiate with evil instead of standing up against it. You're afraid to take a stand for the Lord. You're afraid to stand up and say, no, that's wrong, that's sinful, and we shouldn't be doing that. 
Well, well, you know, hey man, you know, well, it's all up to you and, and God will show you what sin is and I can't define that for you. I can define it for you, no problem, amen? The word of God defines it for us all day long. And we need to know what the word of God says. So point number three, you try to negotiate with evil instead of standing up against it. Number four, it takes something major for God to get your attention. You know, when we're walking in carnality, sometimes God will have to do something radical to get us to turn our eyes back to him. We should walk so closely to the Lord that we can hear him whisper. Amen? That we're walking in intimate fellowship with him and we can hear that still small voice. And sometimes we get so far away from God, we don't hear him when he's shouting at us. Amen? I'll even pray for people that I love that have gotten far away from God. Lord, do whatever it takes to get their attention. Please save them from the ultimate harm, but Lord, do whatever it takes. Because guys, it's more important that they get right with God. Number five, people have little respect for your word. When you walk in carnality, your word means nothing. When you're living a carnal life, when you're a hypocrite, when you say one thing and you do another thing, then you tell them something, they won't even believe you. They won't trust you. You have no integrity. You have no character. It's been said reputation is who you are when everyone's watching. Character is who you are when no one's watching. When you're, watching in carnal, when you're living in carnality, you're, uh, you have, you'll have little respect from, the world, from anyone else for your word. Number six, you are slow to respond to God's commandments. God commands you to do it, and you go home and meditate on it. You got to meditate on God's commands. You just do it. Amen? Number seven, you will settle for less than God's highest. Guys, we should want nothing less than God's highest. Amen? He knows you best. He loves you most. He knows what's best for you. We shouldn't be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. We should want his highest. Number eight, you will long for the things of this world. You'll have a hunger for the things of this world, a passion for the things of this world. Number nine, other people must intercede with God on your behalf because you have little or no prayer life of your own. If you don't like praying and you don't like worshiping, I have to question where you are with the Lord. Praying is talking to the Lord. Worshiping is communicating with Almighty God. Amen? And guys, if you don't have a hunger for the Word, guys, this is the living, breathing Word of God. Amen? And I want to encourage you that the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And then finally, you will set an ungodly example for your children. We're going to see all of these in Lot. In 38 verses. So let's begin there as we go through this. Beginning with number one, you'll become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. This is when you have a carnal walk. Compromise leads to carnality. He says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed, bowed, he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now these two angels have been with the Lord and Abraham and had come to bring God's righteous judgment. And the, the scene now shifts to the city of Sodom. And the chief, this is the chief city of the five cities in the plain. It was, it was its outward lushness that got Lot's attention as he and Abraham had just come out of Egypt. The truth is you could take Lot out of Egypt, but you couldn't get the Egypt out of Lot. Right? It's been said that you can take some people out of the world, but you can't take the world out of them. Right? And, and so the reality is that here he's, he's been drawn by his fleshly desires. He noticed that he's not just camping outside the city. He's not near the city. Notice what it says. He is sitting in the gate of Sodom. It was Sodom that Lot and his family had gradually migrated to 
and they were like drawn like flames to a moth. Again, it says in Genesis 13, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. In Genesis 14, he dwelt in Sodom. And here in chapter 19, he's set in the gate of Sodom. Deeper and deeper into compromise and carnality, carnality and more and more comfortable in the world. Now, those of you, if you've been to Israel, if you're going to Israel with us here soon, we are going to go by some of the gates to some of these cities. And these outer gates are something you had to pass through. And the guys who sat in the gates were the judges for the city. I was trying to dig up one from the time of Abraham. There's actually a gate from the time of Abraham. And there's a picture of my dad and I sitting where the judges would have sat. And so what they do is they bring information to these judges and they're the ones who rule. So if there was any kind of conflict, you didn't get attorneys to represent you. You went before these judges and Lot is one of the judges in Sodom. And when you see what's going on in Sodom, I have no idea what that brother was judging because he wasn't judging anything, but he was sitting in a place where he felt comfortable in the midst of a carnal world. He was so comfortable there. The gates, again, were the place where the authority would sit when the people had a dispute among themselves. They would bring it to the gate where the city elders or authorities would decide the proper course of action, and Lot needed to get, to get to Eldon, right? He wasn't eldering, right? He needed to be doing that. And again, we'll see that when we go to Israel, Matthew 16. Again, we'll see that picture of Dan, the tribe of Dan, and what takes place in those streets. So sitting in the gate, again, it's a place of authority. He seems to become very comfortable in Sodom while having little or no impact on it. As believers... We should be having more of an impact on the world than the world's having on us. When you come to work on Monday, the Holy Spirit enters the building. When you're in the grocery store, the Holy Spirit's with you. And so you take him with you wherever you go. We should be impacting the world instead of being impacted by it. You've heard me say it, the boat should be in the water. We don't want any water in the boat. And this was a man who participated in one of the highest callings ever given by God to men, was at hand to experience Abraham, incredible revelations, deliverances from God, and yet was now, was right at home in the midst of one of the most wicked cities that have ever disgraced the face of the earth. And he is a perfect picture of a modern day carnal Christian. He thinks he can have the best of both worlds. You can be the eternal benefit of knowing the Lord as your savior, but the temporal, you know, fleshly benefits of worldly influence, possessions, and fellowship with the world. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give my life to the Lord an hour and a half a week, and I'm going to make sure that my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I'm going to live the rest of my life like the rest of the world, and nobody's going to even know that I'm a believer. By the way, if you're living for the Lord, everyone ought to know you're saved. Amen? Lot was separated from Abraham, has become a prosperous and prominent man in Sodom. By the way, that's not something you want to be. Amen? And in a city that was about to be destroyed, Everything that he gained was going to go up in smoke, literally. Every, all the possessions he strived for, all the things he compromised to attain is now going to go up in smoke in a moment. Because guys, it's all going to burn. All the stuff that we think is so important in this life, and again, we should be good stewards. It's okay to own a home and do those things. We should be good stewards with that, recognizing it all belongs to the Lord. But if you're where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Their gross wickedness, we saw in 2 Peter, says it vexed his spirit a bit. 
but it didn't vex his spirit enough for him to do anything about it. A day of reckoning's coming. As Christians, we are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds and in the world, but not of it. When Lot saw, he rose and bowed himself before he bowed his face to the ground. Now here's what happens. He's sitting up shucking and jiving with all the other guys in Sodom in the most godless city that's maybe ever existed on the face of this planet. And he sees two angels coming and he recognizes who they are. And he runs in their direction to get as far away from these chuckleheads he's been talking to, to try to fall on his face and act like he's been all about God the whole time. Now, one thing that I learned a lot in working a full-time job for the same company for 35 years is I would get new clients and they'd be swearing up a storm, crude as they can be. And and of course, somewhere in that conversation, it's going to come out that I'm not only a believer, but I'm a pastor. And I would watch these guys look like something out of exorcist because their head would start spinning. It would go from black and filth and foul and bum and black and black and foul. Oh yeah, I'm, hey, bro, you know, yeah, along with this job, I also pastor a church. Oh, praise the Lord, bro. <laughs> praise the Lord, brother. Oh, that's amazing, bro. God bless you. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I serve at this church over here. What happened to the dude who was here 30 seconds ago? See, here's the thing. When he saw the angels coming, he ran out to greet them. And I think he wanted to distance himself from the worldly actions he was taking because two men of God, well, two angels, messengers of God were showing up. Have you ever had that happen to you? Or when, pe- when you enter the room, people like apologize for swearing because they know you're a Christian? I have people, oh, 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 Pastor Dave, I'm sorry, I swore. God hears you all the time. Don't worry about me. Amen? But he has become so comfortable in the world, but at the same time, he's being convicted. And in his conviction, he wants to separate himself in the moment. The word saw there has one meaning, to perceive. He saw them coming. He recognized them as angels, uh, messengers of God. It would have stuck out like a sore thumb in Sodom. And I imagine Lot laughing and feeling right at home in the midst of this ungodly scene and recognizing these men, and he just runs in their direction and throws himself on the ground because, he, again, he puts on the Christian face. I see this a lot, again, in the world that we live in today. So point number one, compromise leads to carnality. You become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. You become, you become comfortable. You start to compromise. You start to, you know explain away while certain behavior is okay instead of standing by what the word of God says. Number two, you become less and less comfortable around God's people. Look at verse two. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise up early and go on your way. Now, what is he trying to do? He's like, don't, don't listen to anything. Don't, don't notice anything going on around here. Just come straight to my house. Let's cover your eyes. Let's get you in here. Let's put you in my house. And in the morning, let's get you up bright and early and get you back up out of the city. Well, hopefully all the den of iniquity, they're all sleeping at the moment. Let's get you out of here before you see all the stuff that's going on in the place where I am a judge. And there are people that will do that when they're around believers. They don't want to... They, they, They want to hide everything that's going on in their normal life. They become uncomfortable around believers. 
because it's convicting. Again, Christians stab each other in the front. Knowing the treatment generally received by strangers in this vile city, he tries to shield them from such abuse by quickly taking them into his own home. And he wanted to protect them, but also didn't want them, these righteous messengers, to see too much of his current surroundings. He was ashamed and embarrassed, didn't want him to see. I've shared with you about Pastor Chuck. He shared this at pastor's conferences many times, and a dear friend of his, he found out was committing adultery, and it broke his heart, and he'd left his wife, and he found out where he was, and he went over to his house, and he knocked on the front door, and when the guy opened the door, Chuck went in and sat down on his sofa and just started weeping. Couldn't even get a word out. Sat there and wept for half an hour and got up and walked out. Never said a word. But his presence was so convicting that that man was back in church the following Sunday with his wife, came, came and met with Pastor Chuck, re- restored their marriage, and he didn't have to say a word. It was just the presence of somebody who loves the Lord. Amen? And doesn't your behavior change depending on who you're hanging out with? And so he was trying, again, to cover this up. And again, 2 Peter 2.8 tells us that the behavior of the people tormented his soul, but not enough for him to leave or rebuke them. Lot's biggest concern seems to be get them out of sight and them out of town as quick as possible. Seems to be more comfortable in the gate with the ungodly than in his home with the godly. He should have been rejoicing that he had godly visitors. We can have fellowship. We can talk about the Lord but not instead, he just wanted to get them out of town so he wouldn't have to be convicted. He was tormented by their behavior. He wants to deliver the angels from it, yet still dwelt among them and had risen to prominence. Godly man with a position of prominence means nothing if he does nothing with it. Look at verse, in verse 2, he says, And they said, No, but we'll spend the night in the open square. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. That can't happen. The city square would have left them open to all the behavior around them and would have also left them in a position where we're going to see this and there's no other way to talk about this. So these men that were in the, in the city, it was rampant homosexuality and they were, it's where we get the word sodomy, Sodom. And we're going to see that anybody who walked into town was an object that could be raped in a moment. And so he knew if they stay out in the city square, these men are going to come out after them, and they're just going to do everything they can to, to rape these angels. And he's like, that's a bad idea. You need to come stay in my house. And they're just like, no, no, we'll, we'll stay out in the city square. Here's the good news. Uh, we've seen in the Bible one angel wipe out 385,000 men. I think they're going to be fine. I think you're going to be just fine. You know, you plus one angel, you plus God is a majority. Amen? Now notice what happens. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now I find it interesting that the first time you see the word unleavened in the Bible is in Sodom. Leaven represents sin. Unleavened meant without sin. And it was, we'll see it when they have Passover, when they're fleeing. Uh, and then when they're fleeing, it's a picture of the fact that they had to leave with great haste and they're remembering their deliverance. And, and again, leaven represents sin. And so involved in this process of trying to protect these men, he sets them down and gives them unleavened bread and 
you know, tries to protect them from an ungodly world that he should have not been trying to protect them from, but instead standing out against. You can't affirm their behavior. You need to stand out against it. So the next mention of unleavened bread takes place in Exodus 12, 15. So just reading this, don't you think Lot's a little uncomfortable right about now? He's got him in the house and he's like, dude, you, know, you guys just sit down, let's turn the lights out. Make, did anybody see you when you came in? I'm a little worried about this. Let's just, you know, I'm going to sleep next to the door. Nobody gets in the house. I'm just, hey guys, and by the way, I, I'm thinking 4.30 is a good time to get up. What do you say? And, and you know, matter of fact, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll help you guys. Can you just see how uncomfortable he is? Instead of rejoicing with them, he's uncomfortable being around godly people. If you're uncomfortable being around godly people, that's a sign that you're walking in carnality. Point number three, you try to negotiate with evil instead of standing out against it. Now, by the way, in these next four verses, some of the most perverse, wicked stuff you're ever going to see in the Bible. Some of the most work, perverse and wicked stuff that's ever happened in human history. It is so disgusting, it just gives me righteous anger. Now, watch what happens. Again, you're going to try to negotiate with evil instead of standing up against it. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. So the word's out. Two attractive men have entered the city. I don't think it matter if they were attractive. They were just breathing. Time to make a meal and eat it. And then word spreads. In just the amount of time that he feeds them unleavened bread, the whole town is outside the door. And they have one thing in mind. They want to drag these men out. And they want to, we'll see as we'll say, they know them carnally, which basically means they want to rape them. Men of the city, young and old, this sin runs rapid in every age group. They have seared over consciences. They've turned themselves over to a reprobate mind. They want to sexually abuse the angels. There's no, what depths of depravity. Guys, we're living in a time right now where people think it's a better idea to have people dressed as drag queens and, and being totally perverse, teaching children. That's okay. But reading the Bible or having the word of God in school or prayer in school is wrong. This is called perversion running amok. Amen? Calling good evil and evil good. Now notice what happens. They surround the doors and they called out to Lot and said to them, where are the, where are the men who came into you tonight, bring them out that we may know them carnally, that we may rape them, that we may have homosexual sex with them. By the way, it's easy to pick on that one sin, which the Bible does talk about a hardening of the heart. If you can live that lifestyle without feeling convicted, the Bible says you've turned yourself over to a reprobate mind. Now, People that struggle with it and are convicted by it are people that obviously the Lord is getting a hold of them. Amen? So conviction is a good thing. But I want to say this. We can always pick on one sin. You need to know that fornication is sin. Adultery is sin. Any kind of sexual uh, relationship outside of a man and a wife who are married. Amen? Just one man, one woman who are married, that's it. Anything outside of that is contrary to the word of God. Amen? And that includes pornography. Amen? You should have eyes only for your spouse. And so that's the exhortation. But here, 
And homosexuality, again, it's, it's unnatural, requires a searing over of the human conscience. It has turned themselves, again, over to a reprobate mind. They're so flesh-driven. They wanted to rape these angels. And no wonder God told Abraham, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grievous. What must God think of the current revival of, of the homosexual movement? Again, you've heard me say this. I don't, I don't mean to be repetitive. We got one day for veterans. We got one day for people that died in war. We got one day for dads. We got one day for moms. We got one day for when Jesus uh, was born and one day for when he rose from the dead. And we got a month that celebrates perversion called Pride Month. And they ripped off, the, the, tried to take the rainbow that God used as a sign of his righteous judgment upon the very sin that they celebrate. Amen. Now, we don't hate these people. We don't affirm them. But their sin needs to be hated just like my sin needs to be hated. Amen? It's not okay. It's not a lifestyle that promotes. By the way, the use of the word gay makes me sick. What does gay mean? Happy. happy. I, there, it's not happy. It's not happy. The church I plastered in Santa Cruz had one of the highest populations of homosexuals in any state, in, in any city in the United States. And administered all, the suicide rate is seven times higher. Depression through the roof. By the way, they, they did a study recently that 43% of homosexual men have over 500 partners in their lifetime. Don't tell me they're practicing restraint and they just want to be married. That's not the case with most. Now, there may be a few in the midst of it, but guys, it's perversion, it's wrong, and it's sinful. Amen. Now, again, it's easy. Don't always just point everybody else. We got to look at our own sin. Amen. But again, it's just out of control. And so there's a hardened heart and it's condemned in the Bible. And I get this. Oh, God doesn't condemn homosexual. Well, Old Testament says you shall not lie with the males with the woman. It is an abomination. They say, well, it's only in the Old Testament. Well, it says this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And as such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of God. God. So that's who we were, and then we met Jesus. And again, we're not sinless, but we should sin less, and we also hate our sin. Amen? There's conversion, there will be conviction. So Sodom is a prosperous city that was spiritually bankrupt, and homosexuality was what the city was defined by. And again, it's most prevalent and promoted in wealthy cities, and again, we are all sexual behavior outside of marriage is wrong, but there is a hardened, hardening of the heart that is defined by Scripture that takes place when somebody has turned themselves over to a reprobate mind. So now watch what happens. If you think that Lot... By the way, the Bible calls him righteous Lot. I'm serious. It's in the Bible. This gives all of us hope. Amen. Because look what it said. Now, you think he's a mess so far. Let's read verse 6. You ready? Uh, please. Uh, he says verse seven, verse 6. Yeah. So Lot went out, went through the doorway, and shut the door behind him. He's like shutting the door, trying to keep them in. And then he says, uh, please, uh, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. All right. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me 
bring them out to you, and you may do with them as you wish. I have two virgin daughters in the house. Let me bring them out, and you guys can all just rape them until until you fall asleep. Let me just bring them all out to you. Now, they should take this brother's father card away and drag him through gravel. Can I get an amen to that? This is ridiculous. Any father who's got a daughter, I, dude, you, if you had 500 men, 50 machine guns, and you were all ninja warriors, I'm standing right in front of you as long as I have. Can I get an amen to that? And he's donating his daughters. This is, this is what happens when you hang out with the world. You start to become like the world. Amen? How in the world does anybody who has had anything to do with God think that this is okay? But this is what happens when we compromise and become like the world. He's become so carnal, and it all happened through compromise. He pitched his tent, he camped, now he's ruling in the land, he's been desensitized to sin, now it's not a big deal, Lord help. He would rather give up his daughters than to stand up for what God had commanded. May we be men and women who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise, amen? That we will stand for the truth even at no, at, without reservation. And unbelievably vile as Lot's actions were, we need to examine the way some of us are raising our own children. I was a youth pastor for 15 years and there were things that would shock me coming out of Christian homes. We expose our kids to adultery, fornication, moral depravity, and violence in their entertainment. Stuff they watch on TV, their phone is, Pastor Joshua calls it, digital crack where you're, it's just inviting every ungodly, wicked, vile thing you've ever seen. I forget what the stat is, but like kids about the age of 11, like half of them have seen porn. Why is that? Because the parents are not being vigilant to protect them from that. You can't protect them maybe 24 hours a day, but you certainly should do everything you can to protect them from it. The music they listen to. My wife and I were at Disneyland. My wife said to me several times, do you see how these young girls are dressing? Where are their parents? Well, they're right in front of them in line. And it's tragic, amen? And, and guys, Lot is failing miserably, but we need to make sure that we do all we can to raise our kids in a godly way. Video games, movies, we can go on. Lord, forgive us. Let's be the parents. Be the parents. It's not going to be popular all the time to be the parents. With all my kids on the way to high school, I would drive them their first day of high school, and I told them all, I love you enough to let you be mad at me for the next four years. You got friends, I'm going to be your dad. And they didn't, and there was a lot of the four years, they didn't like me. It's okay. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen? Notice what it says here at the end of verse 8. And he says, Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. He's not even making an excuse. I brought them in here so you guys wouldn't rape them. So you can have my daughter, just leave the guys alone. Wow. Righteous lot. Lord, help me understand that one. Okay. Verse 9 through 13, it takes something major to get your attention. Watch what happens. Look at verse 9. And they said, stand back. And they said, this one came to stay here, and he keeps acting like the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Hey, you know what? You stand in front of the door, we'll rape you on the way in to rape them. I'm sorry I'm being so blunt, but this is what the text is about. We're going to go after you first, and we're going to get after them, and we're going to please ourselves, and we're going to do whatever we need to do. And just get out of the way, or we're going to run over the top of you at the same time. Now watch what happens. So they pressed hard against the man Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men reached out, this is the angels, 
with their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. So these guys are pressing in and praise God for these angelic hosts who bring them in. And again, they can wipe out hundreds of thousands of angels. I mean, uh, men, I'm not worried about them. But watch what happens in the next verse. And then it says in 11, and they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they became weary trying to find the door. This shows you how perverse they are. They've been blinded by angels and they're still trying to find the door. I'm thinking blinded by angels. I think I might want to go home now. I think I'm in trouble. I think this was a bad idea. But guys, this is what happens in our lives when we turn ourselves over to a reprobate mind, where we get to the point that no amount of conviction, no amount of consequences is going to keep us from doing what we want to do if we're being led by the flesh and if we're walking in carnality. And that's exactly what we're seeing take place here. And it is truly, truly tragic. Lot was saved only by godly intervention, struck him with blindness. And as Christians, we should always show love to the lost, but we must never placate their sin, but rather cry out for godly intervention. Even as they were struck blind, they didn't repent. It's the depths of depravity being seen right before their eyes. Verses 12 and 13, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, uh, whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place. So he's letting them know, okay, Lot, 50, no, we didn't find 50, we didn't find 40, we didn't find 30, we didn't find 20, we didn't find 10. It's just your family, so you need to get out of here because we're about to judge this place. We're about to bring righteous judgment upon it. Get your family and get out of here. God has called you to be separated from evil. And again, Abraham, what's Abraham doing all this time? He's in the wilderness of peace hanging out with the Lord. Because Lot had turned himself over to the world and Abraham was hanging out with the Lord. Abraham's at peace in the presence of God and Lot is facing all this torment and all this depravity and all that's going on around him because he has made the choice to hang with the world instead of hanging with the Lord. He's outside of God's will and carnality and Abraham is walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Then it says there, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against him has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. He lets him know, by the way, we, we were not leaving before breakfast. We came here to wipe this place out. So we are going to destroy it. And here's what you need to do. Get out of town. You need to leave. Righteous judgment is coming. Again, removing the righteous before God brings righteous judgment. Now, this is the crazy part. Lot, dude, he's in heaven. He's in heaven. It, it, didn't that, again, give, a, give hope for all of us? Amen? Like, dude, this guy, really? Again, praise God that he's a God of love and grace and mercy. Look at verse 12. So, so Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, who were married to his daughters. So including his virgin daughters, he had a couple daughters who were married. So he goes to his son-in-law and says, get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But his son-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Oh, stop. It's not going to happen. Oh, the Lord's coming back. Really? I've been hearing that for a long time. And there's this refusal to 
accept. And he's lingering in town, though, as he's going and talking to them. And then it says there, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. If God tells you to leave because I'm going to destroy it, run. Amen? He lingered. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife was trying to draw him into adultery? What did he do? He ran. He left his coat behind. I'm out of here. Guys, when, it, when we're being enticed to sin, don't camp out next to it and linger and think about it. And, you know, run. Flee youthful lust. Amen? And, and praise God for these angels. They had to drag him out of there. But again, notice, it mentions son-in-laws and daughters. We don't see them leaving. They decided he was joking. They decided to stay. But God in his mercy snatched Lot from destruction and the angels drug them out of Sodom. Verse 14, we saw that picture there that his word meant little. Why does his word mean so little? Because he's such a hypocrite. Because when he says now that God's going to bring judgment, they laughed at him because they had seen that he was not a man that stood for anything godly before that. So he had no integrity. He had no character. And then when you're walking in carnality, not only do people not respect your word, but they're slow to respond to God's commands. He lingers. He doesn't respond immediately. Guys, when God tells us to go, let's get up and go. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Let's obey God. Amen? Today. Point number seven, you will settle for less than God's highest. Look what happens in verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Dude, have you lost your mind? He's afraid of evil. He's been camping out in the midst of evil. He has made his home in the place of evil. But when God calls him to step out in faith, now he's worried about being harmed. The harm was going to come from walking outside of God's will. When God calls us to go, let's trust him because God is faithful and he is our provider and he is our protector. Amen? Lot continues to compromise. Be sanctified. Be set apart. Bro, run. Get out of there. And he wants to know, please know, my Lord. So look what happens in verse 20. So now this city near enough to flee to, is this a little one? Please let me escape there. Can I just go to this little one over here and my soul shall live? Why do I have to go to the place God wants me to go? Can I just go somewhere else? You know, God has this calling in my life. Can't I just do a little less than that? Do I have to do every, do I have to be where, exactly where God wants me to be? Can't I be somewhere that's a little more comfortable for my flesh instead of serving God with everything that I have? He's compromising. with setting for less than God's highest. If God's called you to go somewhere, God's going to do great things. Amen? And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape 
there. For I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, they named the place of the city Zoar. Zoar literally means little place, small place. So God, great, God shows him remarkable grace and allows him to go and settle for less than God's highest, to go to a place where he wants to go instead of the place where God has called him to be. Point number eight, you will long for the things of this world. Look at verse 23. The sun had risen upon the earth. And again, notice he wasn't going to bring the judgment until he brought the righteous out. And now they're going to be out. The sun had risen when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Brimstone and fire came down from the sky to bring righteous judgment upon unrepented Sin, where you've turned yourself over to a reprobate mind, you're shaking your fists at God, you're mocking God. The word brimstone in the New Testament is theon. It literally means God's fire. We see it used both by Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and Elijah in 1 Kings 18. And notice the word he says there, uh, brimstone and Gomorrah. So he overthrew those cities and all the plan, all the inhabitants of the cities, all the plain which grew on the ground. The word overthrow there is where we get the word catastrophe. And it's the same word used when Jesus overthrew the tables of the money changers. So God brought righteous judgment. God suffers long. He won't suffer always. And if we continue in that behavior, whatever that behavior is, we shake our fists at God. We harden our hearts toward him and we continue on in it. God will suffer long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? Righteous judgment will come. Now watch what happens. I often say you can tell how somebody's doing spiritually by looking at their wife. Now look what it happens. So he, he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants, but his wife looked back. Did he tell him before, don't look back? And she was turned into a pillar of salt. In that region down by the Dead Sea where everything's dead, where many people believe Sodom and Gomorrah were, nothing grows. If you go to Israel with us, you go lay in the water and you can't sink. It's so filled with salt, so salty. And they have all these pillars and they call all of them Lot's wife. Oh, see that pillar? We call that Lot's wife. See that pillar? So that's Lot's wife over there. That's Lot's wife over there. Yeah, that's Lot's wife over there. She looked back. You know, the Bible tells us to, you know, Paul said this one thing I do, leaving that which is behind, I press onward to the upward call in Christ Jesus. Amen. You leave behind those things that were places of compromise, areas where you struggled, and you turn your life over to Him, and you keep your eyes on the Lord, and you don't make place for the past anymore. It can be used as a testimony to minister to somebody else. It's not something you should rejoice in. She was exercising her personal desires and refusing to obey her husband or the lordship of God in, his, in her life, or to listen to the instruction of the angels. Again, she would not let go of the world. And again, it is so tragic. Point number nine, as we're finishing up, other people must intercede with God on your behalf. Look at verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land and the plain, and he saw, behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities in the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. I believe the reason that God delivered Lot is because Abraham prayed for Lot. 
See, Lot was not walking with the Lord, so he wasn't praying for himself. He was living a life of carnality, so he was not interceding with God. So praise God for somebody godly interceding on behalf of those who are not walking with God. And guys, some of the people you're praying for, you might be the only person that prays for them. And can I encourage you to keep interceding on their behalf? Because Lot was rescued because Abraham prayed. And it wasn't because Lot repented. He still hasn't repented. But because Abraham interceded on his behalf, because Abraham cried out to Almighty God, you know, you may have children that are wayward. You may have family members that are not walking with God. Can I encourage you to be like Abraham and intercede on their behalf? Even if they don't want you to pray for them, pray for them all the more. Amen? You might be the only one doing that. Cry out to God. He heard Abraham's prayers. He will hear yours as well. By the way, the word for catastrophe is also used in referring to the flood of Noah. That's twice. And the one of Noah, of course, is a worldwide righteous judgment that was being remembered with the promise of the rainbow. Man, it's not by chance that we see, again, the place of perversion using that as their symbol when it's all it's doing is mocking the very God who created them. When you're walking in carnality, you have very little of a prayer life. You don't want to pray. You're uncomfortable around people who pray. And I'm not saying it's always easy if you're a newer believer, or maybe you're kind of an introvert, and and you don't really like praying in groups. But I want to encourage you. Ask God to help you, because we need to be praying. Can I get an amen? And we can all pray in our prayer closet. We can all pray when we're alone. But I want to encourage you to ask God, help me to be someone who will pray with other people. Final point, you set an ungodly example for your children. Just when you thought Lot couldn't get much worse. Here we go. Last point. Look what it says. Then Lot went up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. How's that working out? How's that whole hanging out with the world thing working out? How's that whole being a judge and hanging out in Sodom? How's that pitching the tent toward the luscious green looking place working out? By the end of it, all the stuff that he had accumulated is gone and the brother's living in a cave and he's only in a cave because he wouldn't go where God called him to go. When Abraham had interceded on his behalf, he wanted to settle for less than God's highest. So now he's living in a cave. He had left Egypt, one of the most wealthy men on the planet. He leaves Sodom with nothing left. His wife is gone. His two sons-in-laws are gone. His two, two of his other two daughters are gone. And it's him and his two virgin daughters living in a cave. Guys, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. All the possessions, everything they had, gone. Finish up. Verse 31. And it says there, And his two daughters dwelt in the cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old. And there's no man on earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Righteous lot. Now, by the way, they're running from a place where brimstone and fire are coming from the sky, and they managed to bring some wine with them, which tells me that this is another problem in this family. And now 
They're like, well, we want to have kids. Let's just get dad liquored up and we can just sleep with him. Now, do you think that had anything to do with the perversion that was running amok in Sodom? Do you think it desensitized them to even think that this was ridiculous? Incest? It was perverted? But what happens is if people just talk about it enough and participate in it enough, all of a sudden, oh, it's not that big a deal. By the way, our children are watching us and didn't he just offer them up to be raped by a crowd? Do you think they might have heard that when that happened? And now this is, I mean, what in the world? And guys, as believing parents, grandparents, our kids are watching us to be the example. They're watching if we get angry or if we struggle with depression or alcohol or whatever it is, that we, whatever that sin is in your life. Or they see us if we're people who pray people who love them unconditionally, people that teach them the truth. Lot turned to alcohol, his daughters to immorality, things they had learned in Sodom. Anybody praying over here in these verses? Anybody getting down praying? Anybody crying out to God from the cave? I was, David was in caves. What did he do? He cried out to the Lord. Amen? They don't cry out to the Lord. They decide to fix their own situation. Let's finish up. So they made their father drink, verse 33. That night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down with him or when he arose. Dude, you are so liquored up, you don't even know what happened. That's a lot. Then notice what it says. Happened the next day, the firstborn said to the younger daughter, uh, I lay with my father last night. Let's make him drink wine uh, tonight also, and you can go in and lie with him, that you, we may preserve, lineage, your lineage for, uh, preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger one arose and lay with him, and he did not know that he lay down or when he arose. Guys, when you live in perversion and when you live in depravity, all of a sudden, nothing is shocking anymore. You become so desensitized to sin, the getting lit, sleeping around, all this stuff just becomes a normal way of life. And guys, we should be, we should be resensitized to sin. We've been desensitized. We need to be resensitized. Amen? To recognize it. I told the story. I was walking down the Civic Garden Mall in Santa Cruz, and this guy's walking toward me. I never went down there by myself, but I, went, I was down there for some reason, and I'm walking along, and I see this guy, and he's mugging up with this girl, and he gets about 15 feet away from me, and he looks up, and it's a guy that goes to my church, and the woman he's mugging up with is not his wife. And I'm like, kind of like when the angel showed up with, uh, you know, lot. Hey guys, uh, just a minute. And literally you would have thought she was like made out of uranium. He just, <laughs> you know, he, he like separated himself from her and kind of, you know, turned his head to what's up, bro. But here's what happens. He was a chronic adulterer and I'd been counseling his wife and he'd always say he's repentant and he would just do it again and again. Cause guys, once we give in to sin, and once we make that sin acceptable, then we'll continue in that sin, and we'll allow that to continue to, again, that compromise leads to carnality, amen? Instead of looking at his wife as a precious gift from God. Now watch this. The consequences will remain as we finish. Last two verses. He said, the firstborn bore a son, and name his name Moab. Anybody heard of the Moabites? Those good people? No, no wicked people. And then the other, then it says his younger daughter, and she named her son, uh, uh, named Ben-Ami, 
his father of the people of Ammon to this day. So the Ammonites, they good people? No. The Moabites, their name means from the father. The Moabites and Amazites were frequently at war with Israel, and they were the ones who introduced adultery and human sacrifice. So how's Lot's, how's Lot's uh, lineage going? He was, because he compromised, generations to follow were filled with idolatry and carnality because he was a carnal man who did not stand for the things of God. And again, here's what's, we're going to see God's grace in the midst of it. There's a famous Moabitess. Who is that? Who knows? Bonus points. Ruth was sweet as honey butter. She was King David's great-grandmother, right? So Ruth is in the line of Jesus, and she was a Moabitess. So even in the midst, if you've grown up in a family filled with carnality, here's the good news. God can rescue you from that, and you can be used for the glory of God. Amen? That no matter what, what's happened in your past, that God can still redeem you from it. There was also an Ammonite woman who married a man by the name of Solomon, I'm not sure he actually knew he was married to her because he had a thousand women. He might have forgot who she was. But she also is in the lineage of Jesus. So both a Moabitess and an Ammonitess are both in the line of Jesus Christ that he will, even in the midst of this carnality, bring about his perfect will. God has judged him harshly in the past, He's going to judge them harshly in the future. And the ones who remain uh, descendants of Lot, many of them are still to this day enemies of Israel. And so in closing, I know this isn't the chapter you came for, and you're probably thinking, if I knew we're doing Genesis 19, I might have just had tacos somewhere else. But (laughs) compromise leads to carnality. May we be men and women who aren't satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. May we take sin seriously. Amen. May we not take it for granted. Again, when you're walking in carnality, just make this a, examine your own heart. You become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. You become less and less comfortable around God's people. You try to negotiate with evil instead of standing against it. You're afraid to take a stand for the Lord in front of the world because you fear the world more than you fear God. It takes something major for God to get your attention because you don't walk in intimate fellowship with him. People have little respect for your word. You're slow to respond to God's commands. You will sell for less than God's highest. You long for the things of this world. Other people must intercede with God on your behalf because you have little or no prayer life and you set an ungodly example for your children. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We know this is not a simple chapter, but Lord, I pray instead of us looking at this chapter to condemn others. May we examine our own walk with you. Show us, Lord, where we are allowing carnality in our lives, where our compromise is leading us away from you. May we be men and women who would say holiness for us and grace for everyone else. Help us to stand for the truth when nobody else will. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit so help us that we can walk in the center of your will. We can't do any of this without you. It's not us trying harder, it's us surrendering more, putting you on the throne of our lives. So we ask these things in your holy and precious name we pray. And all God's people said...